Hello and welcome along to Walton and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast exclusively dedicated to the Commonwealth Libertadores, the greatest club competition in South American football. Myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver Wilson. Of course, this week we discussed everything to do with the competition. We're at the quarterfinal stage of the competition. The semi-final lineup is complete. Oli compared himself to Kuka. Gabby Goal was banging them in. We did. We had a good discussion about him. Brazilian dominance. Gachado limping out of his hot seat at River, and plenty more besides. But I've got to say, Oli, I thought you were going to call me out way harder on my backdrop for this. You know, the vest, the sunglasses on the balcony. I thought that was going to get a bit more grief, but you sort of took it in your stride when I opened up the Google Meet window. I've um. I've learned that anybody who's wearing a white vest, Stella Artois wife beater, is not the uh, not the person to mess around with. And look, Windsor, we we all know nice. as well that you've been um, you know crushing the gym when we were back in Argentina last time. You've been keeping it going through lockdown. The guns and shoulders are getting sculpted, and he's flexing by putting that on the on show today in the sun. And I'm intimidated. I'm very intimidated by That's- it all. That's a very subtle but very vicious Wilson uh, <laughs> Wilson attack on me <laughs> attack on me there, but I'll take it. Ollie, it was a good pod, mate, when we wrapped up the quarterfinals ahead of the semifinals. Uh, I mean, what can you say? I guess there was no surprises. There was no upsets. But nonetheless, I think to see the Brazilians dominate and score goals in the way they did and to make it three out of the four uh, semifinalists as a Brazilian lineup, um, yeah, I mean, it was good to pick through it all today. Yeah, it's... Um... It's a shame still, but we do at least have Barcelona to continue to fly the flag for us out of the non-Brazilian sides. We are still very much, I think, all wanting Barcelona to win it against the odds. I think we all realise that it's probably never going to happen uh, going into the semi-finals. But the quarterfinals didn't necessarily throw up many surprises, except for maybe the manner of defeats. And that was uh, the interesting thing to get into, particularly talking about Gachado and his approach to what could be his last Libertadores game in charge of River Plate. Which, I, when you say, say it like that, that's huge. The last game that he has in charge, potentially, of River Plate in the Libertadores is a 3-0 decimation by Atletico Mineiro. And it doesn't even tell the story that he's had in this competition. Yeah, it's sad. Mm. It's sad when you think of it that way. But He'll be back. He'll be back in 10 years, won't he? Yeah, when he's grey-haired and it's not quite worked out in either North America or Europe. Yeah. And he comes back <laughs> and takes Maybe takes years. River to, a, to another Libertadores victory once the Argentinian Brazilian balance has finally over the last next 10 to 15 years been rebalanced once again on the continent but for now do you think do you think Argentina will have fans back in the ground by the time Gachado's back in the country in a decade time? no no well we will have had another three pandemics in that time so <laughs> yeah that. it will be a, it'll be True awkward that. look we had great goals we had great games and we had a great discussion what more do you want beautiful beautiful ladies and gentlemen Enjoy the podcast. A busca pela glória eterna chega em seu ápice. Maracanã, 30 de janeiro de 2021. Cruzamento na área, não acreditou, veríssimo. Vem Palmeiras, Rony, cruzamento na área, Breno. started last week talking about Gabby Gold, so we should start. I, like, is there any chance that Gabby Gold listens to the pod? Because I know we've got a few listeners in Rio, and 
I mean, last week we were saying Gabby Goal, the unselfish man. And I think this week in Flamengo's 5-1 win against Olympia, we saw something really different, including one of the funniest moments I've ever seen where he tries to pinch William Arau's goal for Flamengo's fourth when William Arau kind of bangs it in from three yards out. And Gabby Goal is just there, almost like sticking out a leg to try and nick it in. Anyway, Gabby Goal scores two, Flamengo scores five, Flamengo to the semi-finals of the Libertadores. They look awesome. I mean, I'm glad you're finally turning coat on this Gabby Goal, the unselfish man. You know, it's as no, it's as I'm bad not, as I'm the many coat. it's as bad as the many men of Jose Mourinho. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Gabby Goal is now the, has gone from being the great one, the goal scoring one, the unselfish one to right. He is Gabby Goal. He's an out and out centre forward. He wants goals and nothing more than goals, and he wants to have his name in the record books in the Libertadores for the most goals scored in any competition. Which is why he's trying to steal William around goal it's why he's such a predator and so dangerous inside the 18 yard box and it's why that it's very easy to say that he's the best player in this flamengo side which i don't think is the case but in terms of this second leg it was over before it started anyway with the 4-1 aggregate first leg score olympia they've got nothing to play for they know they're out and flamengo just put the foot on the neck it was brutal it was savagely brutal the way they decimated them. And it was exactly what you want to see top sides doing when they're in that position of power and authority, particularly these Brazilian sides, which, as we've mentioned on numerous occasions, can, at times, depending on the situation, play within themselves. And Flamengo were like, no, we're going to take the Gabby goal attitude. We are predators. We're predators and we're going to pick off our prey. And that's why it worked so well. I loved it. Nice. 9-2 on aggregate, the biggest win over two legs in the history of the of quarterfinal history in in, Liber- in the Libertadores which is pretty amazing Flamengo 15 games unbeaten now I've got some Gabby goal stats for you Ollie. hit me he's got 10 goals he's got 10 goals in the Libertadores this year he scored nine in Flamengo's triumph in 2019 the most goals scored ever by one player in the Libertadores was Daniel Ornega in 1966 for River he got 17 is Gabby goal getting seven goals to match that in the last three games I also don't think so Ollie Wilson's shaking his head it's a tough ask however if he doesn't get that record he might and could get this record, which is the top scorer in the history of the Libertadores, is Alberto Spencer. 54 goals. Gabby Goal has 22, right? So if Gabby Goal scores an average of six goals a tournament for the next five years, then he will pretty much match and therefore replace Alberto Spencer. So he just essentially just needs to stay fit and at Flamengo for the next five years. I mean, he could even do it in three or four years, I'd say. Does he want to stay and break that record? Is it against, is it Gabby Goal against the record books or is it Gabby Goal trying to push himself on a different level and go to kind of Europe after this season? We we await to see. But um, yeah, I mean, what can you say about Gabby Goal? He's awesome. I also wanted to say, Oli, that I, I wrote down, is this a better Flamengo side than 2019? Question mark. And I wanted to make that case. But then when I thought about it quite deeply and look back over that 2019 side, I don't think you can escape the fact that Pablo Marie was such an important part of that and gave them that defensive solidity. You know, even though they were vulnerable at times in 2019. So I was thinking, oh, they're, maybe they're not as good as the 2019 side. Um, but I think you can also say now, we see Bruni and Ricky get back to the levels we saw in 2019. We're seeing a better version of Gabby Goal. I think, from what I've seen the Libertadores, anyway, seeing, I think we're seeing a better version of De Arascaeta. I think we're seeing a more complete footballer. And really interestingly, Oli, we're also seeing this this kind of plan B in Vitinho that we didn't see in 2019, right? Mm. We're seeing this hungry, predatory, 
you know, goal scorer who can come on and not just replace Gabby Goal, but, you know, complement him. And he just adds another dimension. And I don't remember in 2019 them having that option off the bench. And in Bettino, they've got someone that would walk into 90% of, well, more, like almost every Libertadores side in the competition. And I just think that's an additional kind of addition. So I think that the case is there to be made that the 2021 Flamengo side is better than the 2019 side that won it. I think that's interesting. I don't think it's the case because I Why? think especially when you look at the knockout competition, they got through in 2019 against a difficult MLX side that were very good and a very good physical side. Um, and that's been the best MLX side that we've seen in the last few years that we've been covering these South American tournaments, you know, really intensely. Then they went and faced Internacional, which was a better inter side by far than we've seen in the last two years. Then they beat Gremio, again, a, a better Gremio side than this year you look who they faced in the knockout stages so far defense at justicia we knew they were open at the back we knew they were there to be had and they've been an olympia side that were well out of their depth even being in the quarterfinals maybe even the round of 16 in this tournament so they've put these sides to the sword but i would be disappointed if flamengo hadn't put these sides to the sword because they should be scoring plenty of goals look don't get me wrong 13 goals in three games in their last three games in the competition is incredible and Maybe that isn't what you would expect, but you would expect big results against both of these for the last two sides in the knockout stage of the competition. And to be honest, not to give away too many teasers or anything, you could look at a big result in their semi-final draw as well. There is a possibility, yeah. arguably taking on the weakest side. And so I think this is potentially a weaker run that they've had to the final than in 2019. And that's why I think it gives them a great opportunity to go ahead and, uh, and get back to the final and potentially win it again. Uh, so... I don't think it is as good. I don't think... I think Pablo Mari is really missed. I think defensively they are far worse. I think for sure we're seeing a great front four, front five really. And William Arau and, and Diego in the in the heart of the pitch are, are stabilising things quite nicely in that middle of the park for the majority of the time. But I don't think we've seen them really tested enough. And they might not get tested enough in these knockout stages until, until final, we get to yeah. the final. I agree. I think they're going to batter Barcelona. Let's talk about Barcelona then, because, uh, yeah, yeah well, go for it. Can we just go one thing? Because 2019, it was the Gabby Gold show. We were talking about him and Bruno Iniki, right? Last year, Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie. Group stage, Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie. Next year, are we going to be looking in the group stage at uh, Derez Cayeta and saying that's the best player in South American football right now? Because I think He's he, for me... Gabby Gold's taking the plaudits with the goals, but there is Cayeta, five assists so far in this competition, four goals, and pulling the strings far more than Bruno Enrique in that mm. Flamengo attack. He's become the conductor of the front four, and they're just all playing to the same tune that he decides the tempo, he decides how they're going to play in the heart of the pitch at times, and he's so versatile with his width, and he can drop inside and play the, almost the number 10 when needed. I think he's been exceptional and he was incredible against Olympia this week. Really, I, really good. I agree. Lovely. And I love the assist for the Bruno Enrique goal as well. It's just so cute to find those kind of angles from from tight into the penalty area. Um, yeah, real quality player. I think he's sort of 24, 25, Ollie. So there's no reason his best days aren't still ahead of him. And we sleep um, on him a lot. We sleep on yeah, him yeah, so much. Like, because he doesn't really score the goals, right? That, you know, Gabby Goal's always going to get the, the plaudits. And yeah, it's interesting actually with, without wishing to really dive into Flamengo too much because um, I don't watch him every week. But now Jerson's not there and they've got that Willian Aral-Diego combination. It's just a little bit different. Whereas Jerson and Willian Aral were 
I don't know. That it feels a little bit different with Diego there. He's he's a better footballer, if you like, rather than you know he's he's, he's not going to make as many tackles. He is going to let more players run past him, but he's a better footballer. So somehow mm. that you know the, the way that ties in with Derasqueta just just in front of him. Whereas before, I always felt like Derasqueta had to drop a little bit deeper to pick the ball off Willian around Gerson. But Diego's more comfortable, I think, fizzing it into Derasqueta slightly higher at the pitch. That's my kind of. Uh, yeah, flimsy tactical analysis of it, but uh, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever. He's a, he's he's playing great. There's there's probably he and maybe two other players. That I think you could put in the player of the tournament mix right now, um, and I'm not necessarily sure that Gabby Gold would go into my player of the tournament. Only Ollie, because don't Gab- be ridiculous. Don't because be ridiculous, Gab- Oli. Oli. Gabby Gold scores goals. goals. That's what he does. Yeah, no, that's fine. I, like that is great. But for a pl- overall player of the tournament, you want somebody that scores goals, creates goals, and pulls the strings Gabby Gold six yard box does the job (laughs) (laughs) the bar's been set so high by himself he has to go even better and add more to his game well he has done but he has done one week where he one week where he made two assists (laughs) got 10 goals and three assists in the tournament so far three games still to go I think he ends up with like 13 or 14 goals because I think they'll batter uh, Barcelona Barcelona won Fluminense won Oli in that side of the draw um, this, you know, Barcelona really with the two away goals in Brazil, that was such a big result, I think, especially given their record at home when, uh, you know, four, four wins from four coming into that encounter against Fluminense. Really good home form. Mastriani scores the goal for Barcelona, which kind of kills off the tie. And then Fred scores a late penalty for Fluminense in vain. Um, a, few, a few points on this one. First of all, Barcelona, the first club outside Brazilian and Argentine clubs to reach the semi-finals of the Libertadores since 2017. And it was them who did it in 2017 when they lost to Cremio. So that just goes to show the kind of the last few years domination from Brazil and Argentine sides, which is just morphing now into domination, of course, from just Brazilian sides. Um, oh, another, another point I wanted to make is I'd love to go and see Barcelona play live, you know, in Guayaquil. I love that ground. I love that ground. I think it's so good. It's so fun. And everything you hear about, you hear it's a real football city. And yeah, I, I'd, I'd just love to go one day. It's not, you know, when people talk about South America, of course, they're going to talk about La Bombonera, Monumental, Maracanã. But but that's one I think that probably gets overlooked in the European football tourists, uh, you know, roaming around South America. There aren't many of them. And I doubt Ecuador is a big spot for any of those European footballing tourists, to be honest. I probably yeah. think even Colombia would probably have more... Yeah tourists going to catch games just because I guess Colombia might be more of a tourist destination or maybe Lima for Peru as well I think Guayaquil and and Quito probably don't really off the beaten track when people are thinking about where should we go to watch our football in South America and you're missing out I think with both of those two cities and yeah you're right about Barca's ground it's it's a cracking it's a really unique looking ground as well you know one huge end behind the goal that kind of really stands out in your mind and um yeah, we just need to start seeing these stadiums full again, really, properly full, rather than uh, you know a scattering. But look, that's going to have to come, yeah. come in time. And it time. will come. The, the, the stadiums thing, just on a tangent, the stadiums thing. I was thinking about this because you know Brazil, Brazil are getting fans back in now. Um, I know Paraguay are. Uh, you know, slowly but surely, these countries, are, <laughs> apart from the mighty Argentina, like these countries are finding a way. We've talked about it before on the pod, how like Europe's managed to find a way. Um, you know, you look all across Europe, um, 
you know, there's, there's fans in the stadiums, capacity in the UK and Eastern Europe and Scandinavia. America been doing it for six, nine months now. So you've got to find a way, guys. Like, you can't have empty football stadiums for two years. It's ridiculous. It's going to kill the sport. So, yeah, get the fans back in the ground. Find a way. Nothing's safe. Like, just, you know, you've you got to find a way. Uh, this Barca result against Flu, I mean, I think Flu are going to be really frustrated with themselves. Uh, it was just lacking attacking urgency for large periods of it. Didn't create enough going forward to really test Javier Burai, who was iffy to start the game. He had that one big kind of fumble out in his own 18-yard box in the first half that almost cost uh, Barcelona early on, but then makes that incredible save from the overhead kick midway through the first half as well to tip it over the top of the crossbar. And like you kind of think, oh, has Burai recovered from his stumble? This is going to be perhaps a tougher night than Fluminense thought. Having the two away goal advantage as well for Barcelona put them in a great position after that first leg. And the Mastriani goal, just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The ball from Hoyos, it's such a small window to dink the ball into. It's that looping, lofted pass that you see so many midfielders trying and you get exasperated with it because you're like, there's no way you can drop it into the perfect spot in behind the defence and where the keeper can't come. And Hoyos does it. And Mastriani's first touch brings it down out of the air perfectly. It's not underneath his feet so much that it's awkward. And then he tucks it away from close range. And Look, two starts, both in the uh, quarterfinals for Mastriani, we, we were sceptical about why he had the start in the first leg. And he showed why in the second leg. Brilliant finish. It, it's an interesting subplot, isn't it, Oli? You know, Carlos Garces was mm. so impressive in the groups. And then Bustos, who we know is not afraid to make a kind of big decision, top coach, I want to talk about him a little bit in a moment. But he's brought in the Uruguayan who'd never scored a goal in the Libertadores. And he comes in and, as you say, the first touch is just absolutely gorgeous. For me, it's actually maybe a better goal than Zaracho's, but we can, we can discuss that um, mm. too. But uh, yeah, I think, I mean, what is it about this Barcelona side? I think Fluminense are not the greatest opposition, but I think it's, for me, it's they've got a bunch of players who aren't going to grab headlines, but who are actually really, really decent. You know, Burai has looked a little bit patchy in recent weeks, but overall his consistency is solid. And then like Damian Diaz, obviously a great player, but also Donis Preciado's been impressive recently. Pinatares, I think, is underrated. And the boss, Oli, Fabian Bustos, um, the Argentine, he won the league with Little Delphine, which is kind of his emergence as a coach. Now he's taken Barcelona against the backdrop of all these top sides to the semi-finals of the Libertadores. And I think, Oli, the natural next, next step for him is to go to a Boca or a River. Like, I really believe mm. he's that good. I think he's shown, what, he's shown the maximum he can do, really, in Ecuador. Um, and I think, you know, you take it Barcelona to the semi-finals after you've won the league with Little Delphine. I think that's, uh, I think that really is, uh, you know, I think it's a cl- I know Boca have just got a new boss, but Boca could do a lot worse than someone like him. Yeah, and it's a shame, really. I, look, I know you need to fill voids. You need to, when managers depart or when you feel you need to make a change, you make a change as a club. But it, you do think that, you know, a club like Boca, for instance, would have been smart to hold off weight and see if Fabian Bustos becomes available once Barcelona are either out of this competition or once they win this competition. Because it would be the, the tweaks he's made to stabilise the spine of this team this year with Pinatares anchoring in the heart of the pitch a lot of the time that Leon and Riveros as the back two in this in this game look, look pretty damn solid and have done for yep. this competition and the one thing Barca had was going forward great quality but looked awful at the back defensively when they eventually were in the group stage last year and it all came to be that the qualification rounds were just a bit of a bluff really and pulling the wool over our eyes this hasn't been the case this year Bustos made has made those adjustments and he's 
yeah, it, it, you have to put it down to the coach because not too much has changed mm. in the in in some of the personnel from from last year and uh, and the style and the, and the same kind of attacking flow going forward is there, which I think is really good because you look at managers that come in and try and reshape everything. And Bustos has quite clearly looked at it and gone, well, we don't need using the flanks, using the fullbacks on the overlap and using the quality that we have in the wide positions for a centre forward and sticking Damian Diaz just slowly as the number 10 to pull the strings in the heart of the pitch. I don't need to touch that. So why would I? Let's focus on what we can do of anchoring the heart of the pitch and the and the heart of the defence and look solid so that we don't get caught out and don't get blown away in this competition. He's done it perfectly. March 2019, Ollie. Sorry, March 2020. We were absolutely right with our predictions for Barcelona. We were just like 18 months early, right? Mm. So we saw it coming. Like we we said then we really fancied them. They were in a tough group that year. We thought they could come through. We saw in the qualifying rounds essentially what we're seeing now, which all right, all right, the Martinez boys aren't aren't, aren't involved, but like it's we we saw it then like we did see it it's just taken a little bit of time to to get right because it's the bulk as you say the bulk of the squad is still there and this isn't a Boca podcast I'm not going to talk about them but it does I think you're absolutely right I mean so many rash quick decisions get made and if Boca just held on for for a couple of months or you know maybe Hernan Crespo might be available maybe Bustos is available you don't know who's going to be who who's going to be up for it so I mean mm. uh, you know rush decisions obviously uh, happen no, no chance for Barcelona against Flamengo over two legs. Uh, no, we'll have a deep dive later on about that, but um, yeah, it's it's not it's not happening. Hard to see, isn't it? Right, yeah. Atletico Mineiro three, River Plate nil, four nil on aggregate. Um, Atletico Mineiro very very comfortably through into the semi-finals for River, just kind of limping out now. Before we heap praise on Atletico Mineiro, Ollie, I just want to talk about River, 2019 final, River beaten by two late goals from Gabby Gol Shuka should have gone then 2020 should have won the league right messed up right at the end Carlos Tevez means Boca wins the league should he have gone then and it's a shame that he doesn't go in either of those two even though he lost them both big moments and he's going to end up Ollie kind of quietly probably with limited fans or no fans waving goodbye to Argentina and waving goodbye to River and sort of slipping out the back door it's kind of an odd end really I don't think that's going to be quite the case. I mean, they are still building a statue for him. Like, this is still one of the greatest managers to take charge of River Plate, and he brought them so much joy. And, of, of course, course, the of course. the final. It is it is a you shame know, because it's a slow limp to the end. That's it's like I mean. you sprinted the first 200, uh, the first 300 metres of a 400-metre race, and then Hammy's gone, and it's like, just got to get across that line now. Just got to get over. Um and everybody will love him in the same way that you love the person that pulls their hamstring and they're dedicated to the finish in the Olympics. You know, like there'll be a big round of applause. People will love it. Everyone will pop out of the woodwork and say what a legend he was. He is for this club and and rightfully so. But it's a shame because you look at he was linked with Barcelona's job mm. not long ago. And but you like look at that and ago. you think you're never going to get hotter on the managerial merry-go-round stage than being linked with one of the biggest clubs in European football. And because of the potential timing of when he's going to depart, there might not be that many big jobs available in European football. I think he does deserve that. But because the temperature is going to have cooled off on Gachado, it's going to make life difficult for him to really attract a big, big name side. And I couldn't, couldn't necessarily see him taking like a mid-level Premier League job or anything like that. But I, I couldn't see him anywhere else except River Plate, which is naive because managers go everywhere, here, there and everywhere. And 
and, and certainly that's the case in in South America. And there's you know no loyalty to the badge in a lot of these people, but. I couldn't see him at River or anywhere else in South American football. And definitely not in Argentina. No, definitely not in Argentina. I mean, I wasn't taking anything away from his achievements, Ollie. Obviously, I just just, yeah. just the manner. There's no bigger Gachado fan than me. But like just the manner in which it's kind of ended for him. And as you say, like, you know, less than two years ago, his, his, um, his, his stock was so, so high. And, and now he's like, I, I don't think he's going anywhere else in Argentina. But like, could does he need to go to Brazil maybe to kind of just just win a trophy or two and then go to Europe that way rather than go direct to Europe because as you say if he goes to Europe now he, he's going to have to go in mid-tier La Liga or mid-tier Liga maybe you know languages he speaks French and Spanish so mm. uh, that yeah, feels I mean, like cheating though going to Brazil like that really does feel like cheating any any big name manager that starts to go to Brazil at this point after what we've seen with all the you know dominance that is coming the financial changes that are happening in brazilian football it just feels like you're bandwagon jumping which and i MLS. understand but it's like now that's one where gachado could go somewhere and look into miami atlanta uh, sorry atlanta well atlanta fc would be a huge one to go to plus there's a, a handful of south americans playing for them at this point as well um even austin uh, FC, Austin United or whatever they are, Austin FC, um, you know, Matthew McConaughey's side project. You know, there's a couple of South Americans. Uh, oh, the um, uh, Bobadilla's mate, Rodney Redes, uh, okay, is up yeah, there yeah, at the yeah. moment. Yeah, you know, so probably, there be, are some... probably best mates. Probably yeah, best yeah, definitely. Mates. I'd be surprised, <laughs> I'd be surprised if they aren't WhatsApping all the time. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, like there, there are a lot of obviously good players from South American football that have gone up to MLS, they will know how good Gachado is. They'll probably respect him. It will help the American players, I think, respect him a lot as well. He should be respected. That is the other landing option that I could see him at, where he'd be able to walk into a job that's high enough, well-paid enough, and a big enough name. I don't know necessarily if that then gets him even a move to Europe after being successful maybe in MLS. And it's difficult to be successful in MLS because of the parity stuff. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting the way Gachado approached this game, actually. Going with the three four three, going like all guns blazing with Alvarez, Romero, and uh, and Suarez. Like, mm. I don't know if that was the right. You take Nico De La Cruz out, who's such a wonderful player for them. You know, there's no Carrascal in the starting eleven either. I just think, yeah, I don't know. It, it seemed like a desperate thought, move from yeah, the get go. I agree. I thought it was a bit odd. You know, they weren't three nil down, were they? They were one nil down from the first leg. Mm. So it, it's you know, I think Romero and. Yeah, it would have been fine just with the two up front. So it, I thought that was weird. I will also say that um, one nil down in the second leg. So they are two nil down at this point in aggregate. But Alvarez has another great chance. He's had one. He had a great chance in the first leg. Not a great chance. He had a very good chance in the first leg. And, and that produced a great save from Averson. And he had a very, very good chance in the second leg. Both at moments where if he scores, and I know football lives in these kind of hypotheticals sometimes, but if he scores that that one in the second leg to make it 1-1 on the night, 2-1 down with the away goal, I do think it changes things. But, you know, does Borre finish that? Maybe. Anyway, he doesn't. Mm. And um, Atletico Monero, don't get me wrong, I mean, they're by far the best side in this second leg and over the course of the two legs. Um, uh, Hawks, well, before we talk about Zavaracha, Hawks' goal really reminded me, Oli, of Hernan Crespo's goal oh, against... Oh, I've got it written down. Are you going to say that? Got oh. it written down, yeah. <laughs> Love that. Love that, man. Love that. It, yeah, I mean, Crespo's goal against Liverpool in the in the, in the the Champions League final back in 2005. 
Uh, is it just lazy of us to come to that conclusion because the finish looks a bit similar? No, no, because because Savarino's pass as well, defence splitting pass is similar. Not it's not as good. This is because I was thinking, God, that's very similar to that Champions League final goal where Kaká plays the almost three quarter length of the pitch through ball to Crespo, and he's on the run in stride, and he just steps his foot underneath it, and it somehow like pops off it. I don't, I still don't know how Crespo finished it in that way at full speed, bearing down on goal. But it's a, it's one of my favourite goals of all time. And so when you first see it, you're like, yeah, there's the long defence splitting pass. There's in behind and there's the dinked finish. But everything about this goal just isn't quite as good. Like the, the defence splitting pass isn't as long. It's not as curved. It's just, you know, splitting a, a two defenders down the middle. And Hulk's finish is more of an actual stab at it. He has to kind of alter his run slightly, whereas Crespo took it just in full stride. But yeah, it's a great, it's a great goal that. It's a really good goal. Um. <laughs> And Zaracho's, what I mean, do you think? Let's let's talk about goal of the week then, shall we? I mean, Zaracho's goal is a lovely ball in from Hulk, and Zaracho, it's not a bicycle kick, but it's kind of acrobatic in the air. He doesn't actually, all he does is kind of help the ball on, right? He doesn't actually change the direction of it too much. It's it's a kind of scissor kick, but he just sort of keeps it moving. So for me, Mastriani's goal is maybe better for Barcelona, but what do you think of Zaracho's strikes? I think Zaracho, because he, he's almost on the run as he leaps. He's not really stationary in the box waiting for it to come. So he's moving forward. So then he's able to jump, get his legs out to the side. And because it's a right-footed strike on the right-hand side of the goal, and as you say, he's glancing it across, that's actually really difficult because it would be so easy to miscue it, right-footed, right side of the box, in the air, scissor kick. I actually think it's a really technically brilliant finish from Zaracho and the mm. way he contorts his body and the and the delicateness of the touch, but still with the power to ensure it gets past the keeper. No chance for Franco Armani. I, I think it's a definitely the best goal. I mean, arguably the best goal of the uh, of the tournament for me. Look, we had some crackers this week, and you could put the Hulk goal in as well. But I think the technical side of Zaracho in that finish is uh, is what stands above the rest. I mean, he's great. He was good last year with Racing Club and. Hasn't quite popped off in this campaign as much as maybe I've maybe I've just not noticed it in the Atletico Mineiro games, but Zaracho was somebody who had a lot of conversation about him uh, when he was at Racing Club. He went last year to Atletico Mineiro and pops up in the big moment. Two two excellent goals and this first one, the scissor kick is is awesome. And then the second one, I mean, Savarino plays that brilliant pass in for Hulk's finish, and then he has this volleyed ball across goal to find uh, Zaracho for the second. Two glorious assists from the Venezuelan. Again, another one that perhaps has gone under the radar, but five assists in this competition. And, you know, if Atletico Mineiro go forward, they've got, again, two players. If they make the final and win it, two players that you could look at and be like, player of the tournament in Savarino and Hulk. Mm. Hulk, seven goals for the tournament. Very impressive. Atletico Mineiro, 11 games unbeaten in the Libertadores. Uh, I mean... What can you say? They're, they're, they're just a club on the up, really. If you look at they've signed... I know Diego Costa's no spring chicken, but they've just signed Diego Costa, which is, at the very least, Ollie, a name, right? Like, mm. it gives a boost to the club. Do they need him when they've got, like, Hulk? I don't know quite how that's going to work. I guess the Brazilian clubs play so many games that maybe they'll, you know, two veterans, they'll find a way to make that work. But, you know, he'll sell a few shirts and gets a few headlines and stuff like that. So that's fun. Um, the top of the Brazilian standings. And, and, and Kuka just looks like he's having a, a, a great time. I also wanted to mention the goalkeeper, Averson, who I think has been really impressive, not just over against River over two legs, but generally in the tournament. So, man, we're going to talk about Palmeiras in a minute. But I tell you what, this Atletico Mineiro side, there's, there's wind in the sails, Ollie. There's wind in the sails. P- 
peaking at the right time definitely yeah. peaking at the right time and that's all you can ask for and uh, look we said at the beginning of the competition it's a strong solid squad and it's a strong solid squad that Kuka's now got playing with great cohesion and there's still a missing part with with Nacho to come back in as well after uh, missing yeah. the second leg because of his red card against River so there's unfortunately for Palmeiras more to come from them which is uh, worrying do you think a coach like Kuka, because he's a bit flamboyant and looks a bit crazy, he doesn't maybe get the respect for how good an actual coach he is? You know, sometimes he, people look at the character rather than the quality of what he has achieved and is achieving. Yeah, I mean, the, the ragged Ed Hardy knockoff shirt on the sideline <laughs> doesn't scream respectful tactician coach. Sure. But I think, it, and I think it's easy to, you know, the, the hair is always quite disheveled. He's a bit of like a portly guy as well. You know, he just doesn't, you compare him to what we're used to seeing on Champions League nights and obviously what we see from Gachado with the smart suits, etc. Like it's a, it's a very different look. It's not even, he can't even be bothered to wear the club tracksuit. You know what I mean? He's like, he's like me when I turn up to do comms work. Like <laughs> turn up in my hoodie and the joggers or whatever. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter what I look like as long as I do the sure. job well, right? And that's what Kuka's attitude seems to be, which is, is kind of great. You love it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 He's got a bit more pedigree in management than I do in uh, in broadcasting, I think. Yeah. yeah. They're going to play Palmeiras, who beat Sao Paulo 3-0 on the night, 4-1 on aggregate. I think if you didn't watch any of this, Ollie, you might look at it and think, oh, Palmeiras was safely through. What a chance Sao Paulo had. Was it Rodrigo Nestor, I think? I've got Rodrigo Nestor. Had, yeah, had an amazing opportunity at 1-0 down on the night. Uh, and that would have made it 1-1 on the night, 2-2 on aggregate. And at that stage, I mean... Obviously, anything could happen. It's a great chance. He doesn't take it, and um, and Palmeiras go on and win it. Um, yeah, what were your takeaways from this one? Well, you said when we spoke about it because I sent you a message uh, after the the morning after the game and said Palmeiras through coming up at the right time, and you said well, Sao Paulo had chances, and I understand that. And you look at the Rodrigo Nesto miss; that's big because he's got clear sight at goal, and he should at least hit the target, and he sends it over the top of the crossbar, and it's a game changing moment at one 0 down. But most of the efforts that Sao Paulo ended up having were from long range. And I think mm. if you're a keeper of Weverton's quality, and uh, I think if you're Abel Ferreira, the manager, you'd be very frustrated if um, if you'd gone out to a Sao Paulo side that were just firing efforts from 20, 25 yards for the majority of the 90 minutes, you know. So, yes, Sao Paulo had chances, but it, it didn't feel like, aside from the Nestor one, there were many guilt-edged chances that they missed. But on the other side of it, Palmeiras didn't have that many themselves either. You know, the, the third goal is an effort from range from Patrick de Paula that takes a deflection on the way through. That's that bit of luck. You know, Rafael Vega's goal is, is from a tight angle and perhaps should be should be kept out by Thiago Volpi. You know, there, there are question marks around some of the, a couple of the goals for Palmeiras that thinks that maybe the manager, manner of defeat shouldn't have been as high as it was. But I do think they were still the better side. And Rafael Vega is... Coming into form, coming yeah, up in May. Palmeiras third favourites? Potentially. I mean, you, you could you could make that case. You could definitely make that case. Look at um, the league table in Brazil, you know. I mean, I don't know. Like, 
everything yeah it, it, it's tough isn't it because it's always about the opposition as well and like as you say flamengo always going to batter olympia this is a shadow of the riverside of previous years so maybe atletico minero who also had an easy group stage blah 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 i think palmaris's passage to this point has been a lot harder but at the same time i don't know mate if i had to put my life on it i i don't know we'll do it we're gonna do a full semi-final pot anyway so i'm not gonna do my predictions but yeah what do you think I think when you look at this Palmeiras side as well, and we've we've obviously mentioned the the rotation that continues to come from Abel Ferreira this year, and whether that can be a positive or a negative is is still up in the air. And I guess the semi-finals might end up deciding that. But again, you look at the depth that they do have, and, and I don't think Flamengo necessarily have as much depth. I think they're quite reliant on that big four. If the big four are fit and healthy, the goals will obviously come. Perhaps not. Atletico Mineiro, they too have slightly less recognisable names in in their back line, whereas you know. Rafael Vega's only made two appearances in this competition so far in the quarterfinals and has put in a great performance. On the bench, they had Luis Adriano, Gustavo Scarpa, neither of them got on. Breno Lopez, who came on and, and scored the winner in the final last year. Uh, Patrick De Paula got on, scored from the bench this week. Felipe Melo got on uh, from the bench this week. Gabriel Menino back, obviously, from the uh, like Olympics it, yeah. and, and got on as well. There's almost a starting eleven that Palmeiras could play on, on their bench every single week. And obviously, perhaps it's not as high a calibre starting eleven as the, as the one that will start in the semi-final. But there is depth there that you don't feel. And because they have rotated, everybody is comfortable in this Palmeiras side. They're used to perhaps this rotation now. It, it will be interesting. It will be a damned if they do and damned if they don't thing, I think, by this point. But yeah, I think that depth, that depth is probably better than anybody else in this tournament right now. And that could, that could pay off. That could really pay off. And it makes it difficult to prepare as well because you don't really know what or who you're going to be facing going into the semi-final.